Passover, a story of freedom from bondage. Bondage, which started all the way back in the garden when man fell and a freedom, perhaps at its base display at the crucifixion. But the crucifixion and the events surrounding it is one of the most beautiful stories to ever be told, yet at the same time, one of the most terrible and heartbreaking of stories. The world meets a man without sin. And how do we treat him? We crucify him. There has never been a man as innocent, yet he was treated among the most guilty. Brothers and sisters, the Passover story is a story full of paradoxes. Israel, in the midst of celebrating the festival of unleavened bread, where they all understand that removing the bread from their homes, the leaven from their homes, is a picture of how they're supposed to clean their house, their spiritual house from sin. But at the same time as they're doing this, they're putting a man who's never known sin on a cross, committing one of the most atrocious of sins themselves. Yet even in the midst of this, you would think that God would have no mercy on such a people as Israel. Yet he uses what they do for their own redemption. And he works it into his plan to save anyone who would now call upon him as they turn their hearts towards him. What a paradox. What about Barabbas, who when the people were faced with the choice of who to crucify, who to receive is going to receive the death penalty, Barabbas or this man called Yeshua, Jesus, and the crowd, they call for Barabbas to be released and they call for Jesus. Crucify him, they say. Yet even in the midst of this, God saves them anyway. God dies for them anyway. And all of them who would repent would have a chance at eternal life. Or what about Judas sitting at the table with the Messiah of the world? And yet he is being warned of his coming betrayal by the Messiah. Yet he goes through with it anyway. But even though this is a terrible betrayal, it becomes one of the most wonderful things to ever happen to the world. What a paradox. I want us to talk about some of these things because in them, I believe you will discover the message of God's redemption and on even deeper level. And you will also discover the pitfalls of the human heart which we all have a part of. You see, Judas, we see as a man far off and we're not nothing like him. Or we look at the decisions of Israel in that day and we think we would be, do nothing like them. Yet we have to make sure that our hearts are truly purified. I want to take you on a journey, starting with 
the Passover meal and journeying back all the way to the garden where all this started. And you will see the connection like never before. After being captured, Yeshua is up there with Pilate. And as the crowds gather, Pilate looks to them and asks, Do you want for me to release to you the king of the Jews? An offer for the Jewish people to let this man go. A pagan is offering this to them. It's almost like God is working behind the scenes supernaturally and telling Israel, Israel, are you sure you want to go ahead with this decision? And Israel responds, crucify him. We read the following. Mark 15 verse 8. And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. And he answered them, saying, Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priests had delivered him up. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have him release for them Barabbas instead. And Pilate again said to them, Then what shall I do with this man you call the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, crucify him. One of the most interesting parts of this passage is in Mark 15 verse 8, where Israel asks Pilate to do what he usually did for them. It seems as if though Israel has a tradition with Pilate to release an, a Jewish prisoner once a year on the Feast of Passover. This is interesting because the Feast of Passover is a memorial feast which was celebrated to remember the the slavery that Israel was in and delivered from when they were in Egypt. And so this tradition of releasing a prisoner is releasing a prisoner from bondage and that's in a similar way. And when Israel is given this opportunity to choose Yeshua to be released, instead they call for a specific man, not just any man, but Barabbas. You see, why Barabbas? Barabbas was an insurrectionist. It has been written that he was locked up by the Romans for standing up against Rome, uh, being a rebel, if you will. And he was awaiting a death penalty after that conviction. And it's interesting that they called for Barabbas to be released. You see, Israel saw Barabbas as a type of Messiah. Israel in the first century, they were looking for a Messiah that was going to be a war hero to redeem them and save them from Rome. The bondage and the the oversight and the, the control that the Romans were exercising over Israel. So Israel 
They're looking for a warrior. And Barabbas, in their eyes, was that warrior. Israel believed that their bondage was due to a Roman authority, a government. But truly, their bondage was in their own hearts. And Barabbas, he was a human solution to a Roman problem. He was a Messiah for Israel in their sight. But Yeshua, he was God's solution to man's heart problem. You see, Israel thought their problem was Rome. No, no, no. The problem was their own hearts. How often do we point to this politician, that country or whatever legislation? If I could only have enough money, then I'll be safe from my worldly problems. If I could only get that job, then I'll be good. If I could only get this possession, then I'll be good. Or whatever thing in this world, if we could only have that, it would be our Messiah. But God knew that no human solution is the solution. And the bondages that we see aren't the true bondages. The real bondage problem is our own hearts. And the only way to fix that is not going to be by any type of human solution, but only by the Messiah, the solution that God sends. You see, this teaches us a little bit of something about our own hearts. The heart of a man tries to find solutions to all our problems. But the only problem is that not all our problems are ours to solve. The problem of salvation for humanity is not one that can be worked out by humanity itself, even though every single religion is trying actively to do so. We cannot do it, even if you had a thousand lives to try. You need and we all need to make sure that we are trusting in the Messiah who has done the work, you know, just Think about it. Israel faced with Barabbas, faced with Yeshua. They choose Barabbas instead. A human solution to their Roman problem. But they don't know what their real problem is. And they don't know, therefore, what their real solution would be. We need to look to God for our solutions. And think about Barabbas sitting in that cell waiting for a death penalty. A man opens the gate and says, Barabbas, I have good news for you. There's a man. He's going to die in your place. Barabbas, knowing full well why he's there and that he is about to be crucified and die. He looks up and thinks, who wants to go in my place? Who is he? Oh, it's an innocent man, a man who's never killed another, a man who's never sinned in his life. What do you think that does to a man's heart like Barabbas's heart? 
We can only speculate, but we know that it is the kindness of God that leads us to him and draws us and leads us to repentance. You see, brothers and sisters, I want to tell you something. We're all Barabbas. All of us are in his position, imprisoned, awaiting conviction and execution. That's where we are before we met Yeshua. And as we are in that position in bondage to our own sins, the things that locked us up like the murderer Barabbas was locked up by his sin and murder. But being faced with Barabbas and being faced with Yeshua, why do they choose Barabbas to be set free and Yeshua to be crucified? Well, as we discussed, they likely saw Barabbas as some hero or Messiah figure. But why choose a murderer to go free while the innocent man dies? I want to submit to you that they likely found that Barabbas was a lot more like they were than Yeshua was. They likely felt more connection to a murderer like Barabbas because they were all murderers at heart. Think about it. Israel, are, they're committing murder in their hearts with their mouths, speaking murder over an innocent man. Their hearts are full of murder, even if they haven't done it with their own hands. And so because of that, they relate more with a murderer like Barabbas and they choose the murderer like Barabbas. You see, brothers and sisters, this tells us something about how much discernment and justice there is in the hearts of men when the Spirit of God is absent. True justice, true mercy, true righteousness only comes when the Spirit of God does a work. Because without it, what happens is we are corrupted inside. And so we will then choose corruption. They chose Barabbas, the murderer, because they were all murderers inside. And they hated Yeshua because his righteousness exposed their unrighteousness. His light exposed their darkness. Now, here's the big question. When Yeshua shows up in your life, it's going to be a very bright light. But what are you going to do with it when that bright light starts exposing all the dirt in your heart? When you open the Bible and you read its pages and the Holy Spirit comes and points out every part of you that's not in alignment with it, and you will find that there are a lot of parts like that. What are you going to do with that? Because that's going to be the difference. That decision, that crossroad is the difference of becoming more like that innocent man who went to hang on a cross for your sins or to become more like that man, Barabbas and the crowds who set him free. Brothers and sisters, this is the difference between the heart of humility and the heart of pride. What do we choose? 
Because it takes humility to say, I am willing to admit I'm wrong and change and give up even if I'm exposed. In fact, we shouldn't try and hide our things from the Lord like Adam and Eve going to hide in some bush. God knows what we need to do is say, Lord, expose to myself my sin so that I can know about it and so I can cleanse my life from it. In fact, that's ironically what the Feast of Passover is all about. To cleanse our homes, our temples from sin. Another such curious case and Passover paradox is the story of Judas and how he is sitting at the table with the Messiah. And the Messiah warns, saying that the man who betrays him, it would be better if he had never even been born. But yet Judas went ahead anyway. What was he thinking? Let's read this part of scripture. Matthew 26, verse 23. He answered, he who has dipped his hand in the dish with me will betray me. The son of man goes as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the son of man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Judas, who would betray him, answered, Is it I, Rabbi? And he said to him, You have said so. One of the most extraordinary parts of the story is how the Messiah warns Judas about what he was about to do in his mercy, in his grace. And yet Judas went to do it anyway. What went through his mind? What man goes to rob a bank knowing that he will be caught for it? We don't do things knowing we'll be caught for it. We do things when we believe we could get away with it. So why did Judas go ahead anyway? I want to submit to you that his love for money, his love for the world and in the worldly possessions was so great that in light of that, he had no fear of God. But I want to submit an even deeper layer of this to you, and that is he may have internally justified his actions by saying something like, well, it's it's too late for me. I've come so far already. God's already seen what I'm busy with. I might as well go through with it all the way. You see, what we sometimes do is we make God in our own image because we put ourselves in the shoes of God and we think, well, if I was God, I would never forgive me. And Judas may have even thought, well, if I was God, I would never forgive me. So I might as well go through with it. And that's what Adam and Eve did. They did not believe that God was different than they were. They did not believe that God would forgive. That's why they went to run and hide in the bushes. Because if they actually believed that 
Yes, I made a mistake, but God is greater than my mistake and God's mercy can forgive me if I come to him in repentance. But they did not believe that about God. They made God in their own image instead of understanding they're made in the image of God. So they were acting rather out of the image of Hasatan and Judah is the same. He did not believe that the Messiah would would forgive him. He believed it was too late. And so our guilt, shame and condemnation then breeds more guilt, shame and condemnation. And more and more as we just continue further and further, deeper and deeper into our sin. As we look at, think about the world, it's, it's you only live once, YOLO, just go and you've already fallen. So just enjoy the ride for the rest of the journey until you die. But the Bible says something else about God's character that he does forgive and that he is kind. We read in Romans 2 verse 4, or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? And 1 John 1 verse 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God's kindness is what leads us to repentance. It is when he shows us how he is different from us. He thinks differently. He has more kindness and grace. That is what draws us to repentance. And he he promises us that if we come to him in repentance, that he will forgive us, not of some or a little or certain parts, but all of our unrighteousness. Now, brother and sister, I want to ask you the question of how much do you actually believe that because if we don't believe this about God, we will fall into the same mistakes that someone like Judas did or someone like Adam and Eve did way back in the garden. The belief that I've made a mistake. God can't save me. So all I have a choice of is more mistakes and I might as well enjoy the ride while I go there. We have to be careful because that's the mindset that Satan is bringing for us. That's what he wants us to choose. And this is all what ended up happening with Judas. After he betrayed the Messiah, the guilt, the shame, the condemnation, it only grew more and more and more because instead of seeking forgiveness and freedom, from the only one able to give it to him, the Messiah, he chose to just enter that betrayal deeper and deeper, even though he was warned beforehand, even though the Messiah told him this is you're on this path, he went away on anyway. And so what we see is that Judas went, goes to the, the, the priests and he just throws back the money and he says, no, I don't want the money. And he goes and he commits suicide. We read in Matthew 27, 7 and throwing down the pieces of silver into the temple, he departed and he went and hanged himself. But the chief priest taking the pieces of silver said, it is not lawful to put them into the treasury since it is blood money. So they took counsel and bought with them the potter's field as a burial place for strangers. What is the significance of these priests using the blood money 
uh, that was paid for the life of the Messiah to betray him. And they're buying this field. And it says that this field was bought to be a burial place for the Greek word of Xenos, which means foreigners, strangers. When we look at this money, what it accomplished, what it did for Judas, Judas thought that uh, this money, these worldly possessions, these things I can get from this deal is worth it. But what did it buy him? It bought him death and his own suicide and the guilt and the shame. And not only that, when the money was returned to the priest, they use it to buy a graveyard. A, pl- a place of death for strangers. I want to submit to you that this field, this graveyard I was bought is a, a symbolic of where everyone will go who follows in the footsteps of Judas, the betrayer, who, who also chooses to not believe that the Messiah is able to forgive me. To not hold on to him as salvation. To betray him by their own sins. To betray God and ultimately to be strangers to God and his covenant. You see, we all have a choice like Judas. We can even know about the Messiah and walk with him and sit at the same Passover table with him, thinking we're safe somehow. But yet we can still decide to betray. And in a moment, we become a stranger to God and we will go to that burial place for strangers. And so we see that Judas's silver only bought him death. While the blood of the Messiah bought eternal life for all who would put their faith in him. And this is why the Messiah said to his disciples in John chapter 15, that you are my friends. Making a distinction that his disciples are his friends. You see, you will either be a friend of God, bearing good fruits, worthy of repentance, Or you'll be a stranger of God. And this is not about how much you know about God. It's whether you know him intimately, personally, and whether he knows you. But the story of Judas is even further connected to the story of the garden. I want to show you in John 13 verse 26, we read that Jesus answered, It is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. Jesus said to him, what you're going to do, do it quickly. Let's just think about this. Like if you're sitting at the table with the Messiah and he says, whoever takes this, bread, which I'm dipping now, he is the one who is going to be the betrayer. And if he hands it to you, you're going to be like, that's that's not mine. I don't want anything to do with that piece of bread. If he handed that to Peter, Peter would be like, no, Lord, I don't want this. But Judas, it says 
after he took it, Satan immediately entered him. So Judas made a decision, a very important decision. You see, it's interesting. What does this represent? Why did Yeshua do it this way? I want you to think about this, what, what, what Yeshua would have dipped this in. Yeshua would have been following biblical principles in trying to communicate this to us. In other words, when we look about, about what is going to be present at the table that he is at at this Passover, he is going to be using biblical Passover elements to communicate biblical principles. And what I mean is we need to simply look at how God told us to celebrate Passover. And in Exodus 12, verse 8, we read, They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire, with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall eat it. It is likely that Yeshua dipped the bread within the bitter herbs, for that is the biblical element with which you eat the bread. And we could presume that he would have used a biblical element. And so what does that mean? The bitter herbs is to remind us about the bitterness of slavery that there was in Egypt with Israel. And so not only that, but also the bitterness of slavery we have in our sin. You see, in the garden where the original sin came in, that is where the bitterness of slavery really started. And so when we eat this, these bitter herbs at the Passover meal, we are reminded of how bitter our slavery to sin was. And so now think about this, brothers and sisters. We're thinking about the garden. And in the garden... God comes to Adam and Eve and he tells him, I don't want you to eat of the, bitter, the forbidden fruit. Then the devil comes and he tempts them. And then they make the decision to eat it. And then authority is given to Hasatan. But that's exactly what happened. The Passover table. Yeshua is there with this piece of bread. And he says, this piece of bread the one who eats of this one is a betrayer. And Judas, he decides to take it. He eats of it. He makes the decision himself. And when he eats of this forbidden bread, if you will, it says that Satan entered him. Satan received authority over his body. And just like Adam and Eve were tempted by the devil in the garden, so Ju Judas is tempted by Satan to betray the Messiah. And he goes and takes it. And the ironic element of this is that Judas should know what these bitter herbs represent. The bitter herbs is supposed to remind us of our slavery, our sin, the reason we're here, the reason we need a Messiah. And yet even in that, he takes it and he disregards the meaning of it. He eats it and he says, I will be the betrayer, even though I know 
And that's why Satan could enter his heart, because he made that choice. But something was different this time. You see, back when Adam and Eve ate and the fall happened, death entered. And now we have Judas. He eats and death enters him. But death is not able to enter the Messiah. You see, when the Messiah dies on Passover because of this covenant that Judas made, Death has no grip on the Messiah. The Messiah is like the second Adam. The first Adam died in his sin. But death, death, where is your sting? Where is your hold? Like Paul said, because now death cannot hold the Messiah down because of the Messiah's purity and sinless state. And so even though Judas made all these plans and even though the enemy made all these plans and the Pharisees who came against Yeshua made all these plans. And even though Israel came with Barnabas, they chose him with their plan of their own redemption and their own way. And 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 Israel, all, all these things they're deciding, they think they have solutions to their problems. Then all their horrible ideas lead to death for themselves, but at the same time, life for the world, because that's how God works. That even when we just like when Joseph was was thrown, sold into slavery and in, in, in thrown into prison because of his brothers, God used the evil that was done against him for God's own glory. And that's the same thing that happened with the Messiah. And so, brothers and sisters, I want to ask you the question of where do you put your faith? Where do you put your trust? How do you see God? Do you believe he's a savior? Do you believe he has the ability to forgive a sinner like you? Because I want to submit to you that if Judas at that Passover table said, Lord, no, I don't take this bread. Lord, I repent. Lord, I ask for your mercy for my plans and my heart were wicked. And Lord, right now I stop right here. I ask for your forgiveness. There would have been nothing to stop the Messiah from forgiving him. But yet Judas did what he felt what must be done. But brothers and sisters, none of us are too far gone. We're not too far gone until it's too late. And there is going to be a time for each of us when it gets too late. And there has to be this part of us that has to be like, wow, Judas, he walked with the Messiah. He was close. He, he was face to face with the Messiah. He ate with him. He was sleeping next to him at some points when they were out there sleeping in the streets. He was ministering. He was seeing the miracles. He knew him intimately. Yet that did not stop him from in the end choosing the way of the world. That means that for each of us, there remains a danger that we can go back. Even if you feel like you're close to the Lord now, praise God. I ask that you do everything in your power to remain close to him like Peter did. Because Peter denied the Messiah too. 
three times, but yet the Messiah forgave him. Why? Because like the book of John says, if we are willing to repent, he is eager to forgive us of all our unrighteousness. And that's what Peter did. But where is your heart? And are you guarding it? And are you awake of the plans and schemes of the enemy who's all the time trying to tempt you? There are kind of come people to your life like those certain Pharisees came to Judas and they're going to say, well, you know what? We have something for you that's precious in this world. Don't you want to give up your Messiah for it? And you're going to have times in your life when you're going to have a choice between Barabbas and Yeshua. You're going to have a choice between wanting to pick someone, something in the world, and it's going to look so pretty. It's going to look so like, I I want to pick that because my heart is like it. Just like Israel, they wanted to pick a murderer because they were murderers in their heart. When in our fallen nature, there's a part of us that wants to pick the things of the world. Are you going to do that or are you going to go against it and say, Lord, I see you on the other side. I see you exposing my unrighteousness. And even though I don't like it, I'm going to pick you instead every single time. And I will not pick Barabbas, thereby betraying you. Because see, brothers and sisters, at the end of the day, you're either going to be a friend or you're either going to be a stranger of the Messiah. And even though it seems like you, there is some gain to be gained, there is nothing in reality to be gained from this world. It's all fake. The things that are being sold to you is temporary and it's going to return to dust. All that the money that Judas received ever bought was a graveyard for dead people. And that's all that our riches will achieve us in this life if it comes at the cost the kingdom of God. So my question to you this Passover season is, is your house truly clean? Or do you have a heart of any of these people that we've been talking about? Because he's going to come back and he's going to say, I'm looking for my friends. John 15 verse 15. No longer do I call you servants for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. So let this all be known to you. Go into the peace and understanding that you have an open door to the Messiah because of what God has done for you. And go and speak to him as a friend. I hope that this teaching has blessed you. A special thank you to our partners who have made this teaching and every other teaching this month possible. Have an amazing Passover season and feast of unleavened bread. Like this video for others to see it and subscribe to this YouTube channel for more just like this one.